What flower would you call the saucy strumpet show-off of late summer and fall? This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. Our plant of the week is a flower that some would call lusty, immoderate, even gaudy, but I just call it gorgeous. It's the dahlia. We'll be chatting with Beverly Lacey of Blue Heron Farm. This is a local organic cutting garden that supplies well, people with, with flowers that they are going to um, want to arrange in their homes and also local florists. And she grows a gazillion of these things right about 40 minutes away from me. And I had so much fun touring her farm. She's going to help us to understand how to grow them well. And lastly, our playlist will include how to play in your garden this week and what might be fun to listen to at the same time. Oh, golly, it is so hot again. Honestly, when Scott Berline and I were talking a week ago in last week's episode about the August Garden, and he said, just stay the hell away. I mean, I think he was right. I I have, we finally have gotten rain. I have all these things I want to move and divide and add to. And I know my gardening this week has consisted of dragging hoses because, okay, we do, we, we have gotten some rain, but when you get the rain and it's like 70 degrees, then you're like, oh, we're good for a while. If you get the rain and it's like 200 degrees, it's like an oven and you never got the rain. So hauling the hoses all around. And then the only other thing I've done is gone into the deepest, darkest, most jungly part of my woods because I don't want to combine these temperatures with sunlight. Um, and I've been yanking ivy. Good old ivy, hetera helix. It's just, it's all over my yard. And it was really all over my yard when I first moved here. But it's still, it's growing on all sides because the neighbors have it. I just think it's the worst plant. I mean, it's so much better than poison ivy. Don't get me wrong. I used to, um, I used to roll it up and make burritos out of it, like just pull up roots and just roll it, roll it, roll it. But now my way to attack is just pull it. And you know, you can do this for 10 minutes at a time and then move on and do something else. So it's just a gradual project for me of pulling it up and leaving it behind me right there where there is nothing growing because it's just going to compost right there in situ. And a couple of the vines that I pull do end up living, but mostly they're gone. Um, and therefore, I have a nice little shallow compost pile to dig in something better. And deep, deep shade, and I do want to go native because when you can, you should, and it's not like I'm going to really see these plants. I'm thinking maybe just of violets or maybe just probably just native ferns and make sure I water them to get them well established. Maybe hmm, maybe Christmas ferns because they're evergreen. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. If you have a better idea, hey, you let me know. Um, I was listening to an RHS podcast the other day. That's the Royal Horticultural Society. I listened to their podcast. It's a little hmm, stilted, but it's good and, and great information. But I felt like shouting um, at the guy who was talking about the virtues of English ivy. And maybe it's different over there, but I just, I just think it's awful. I mean, he was saying that it's a natural habitat. Well, it's not native. I think it's native to Asia. But I could be wrong on that. I should look that up. Um, it's certainly not native to the United States. And when it grows up a tree and starts to flower and bury, it spreads like crazy. He was saying, oh, it doesn't hurt buildings. Well, I guess he's never removed ivy and paint from the side of a building or ivy and mortar from the side of a building, because I sure have. Um, and he says that it doesn't hurt trees, but it really does. Trees need that gap at the bottom where their root flare comes out at the bottom of their trunk. They need it to breathe. And whether it's covered up with mulch or ivy or 
I don't know, picture frames. It doesn't really matter. It needs that place. So ivy is not good for trees. I'm not even going to bother to go back and find out who was talking about ivy in these virtuous terms. And um, I'm just going to I'm just going to move on, <laughs> but it, I'm amusing myself by how heated I'm getting with this discussion. Maybe Scott Berline, because he writes for the blog Garden Brand, combined with Vesuvian temperatures of late, have got me a little hot and bothered. So let's move on. Okay, our plant of the week is the dahlia. And guess what? The botanical name is the same as the common name. That's really handy, the dahlia. It is an herbaceous perennial. So herbaceous, again, the fancy name for something that dies right down in winter. It's only hardy in zones 7 through 10. When I have my interview with Bev Lacey about it, she's going to talk about how to lift it in fall. Here, where we live in Charlottesville, you don't have to lift it, and most of mine come through, and, and I see them again the next year. But it doesn't always have to do with temperatures that makes them die off in the winter. It could have to do with moisture. They do not like to sit in water. So when you go to lift them um, and store them wherever you're going to store them over the winter, you have to make sure that you've done it in a way that they're not too moist or not too hard. I've made mistakes both ways. I've gotten drippy containers of mush when I didn't do it right. And I've also gotten like completely dried out stones that used to be dahlia tubers. So you you can definitely, or at least I can definitely mess that up. But once you have a system, I think you're able to save them over the winter pretty easily. Refer yourself to YouTube and other better gardeners for something like that. Like I said, I leave mine in the ground and see what I get. They can be one to three feet across. They can be three to six feet tall. I had somebody get in touch with me on Instagram that said that hers were 12 feet tall. And I was like, get the authorities over there to measure that thing. You might have some sort of a record. I think um, they seem like they're 12 feet tall because they can get really sprawly and out of control. Bev Lacey, who I'm going to interview, gives us some really good tips on how to keep them in control. If you don't have them in control, a couple of things might happen. One, your blood pressure might go up because you're a control freak, a little bit like me. Two, they might sprawl all over other plants and like, I don't know, kill them or smother them and make it so you can't see them. Three, you're going to have trouble getting cut flowers. And if you don't want to cut your dahlias and bring them inside, then don't worry about it. But there's a way to do it that's going to get you better access to good cut flowers. They come in the following colors, red, pink, lavender, purple, orange, yellow, white, and everything in between. One of the favorite ones grown is called Cafe au lait, which is a sort of peachy, apricot, creamy, dreamy thing. It's, you know, any color in between any of those, and, and they can be variegated. Um, the colors are just amazing. They like good soil, but it should be well-drained. They are hungry and thirsty and greedy little divas. Once they poke up, you really need to pay attention to them to grow them well. And so do they make a good cut flower? Well, yeah, I think that if they, you know, Bev wouldn't grow them on her cut flower farm if they didn't. But as she mentions in our interview, they don't last the, the standard seven days. They, they're more like four or five. They're probably worth it, though. And speaking of being worth it, so I refer to the Missouri Botanical Database to talk about a lot of the basic facts about my plants. And this is what the Missouri Botanical Database has to say about this plant. They usually say, you know, oh, pester diseases. Oh, yeah, moderate pester diseases, blah, 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 can be grown, blah, blah, blah. All right, here's dahlias. They can be high-maintenance plants that require a large investment of time to grow well. Potential diseases include viruses, crown gall, root rot, wilts, powdery mildew, aphids, caterpillars, spider mites, leaf hoppers, and other common insect visitors. I've never seen, that's like, you know, a triple whammy warning. I've never seen anything like that on the Missouri Botanical Database. 
Well, so why then do people grow these things? Because they are amazing. They're just one of the most beautiful flowers that you can grow. And I would venture to say that they're as luscious and as mesmerizing as peonies. But guess what? Instead of lasting sort of one week, they last four weeks. So hang on and you're going to learn how to grow them even better. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. Coming up, we're going to talk with Bev Lacey about dahlias. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. And today, I am sorry that you have not been able to do what I have been able to do, which is walk all over Blue Heron Farm with Beverly Lacey, because Bev is a fount of information about all kinds of things. I'm just going to, we're just going to have to concentrate. We're going to have to organize ourselves and discipline ourselves to concentrate on dahlias because they are the flower of the moment. Thank you for chatting with me. Thrilled to have you visiting us on the farm. I'm so happy. We were going to do this by Zoom and that would have been a huge mistake. (laughs) So, um... Tell me about, I mean, right now you have hundreds and hundreds of dahlias growing out there. I was so happy to see the methods and all that sort of thing. A little bit difficult to describe, but I'm going to, we're going to try. But just so you listeners know, you know, there's a blog post that accompanies all my interviews. And in this case, you're going to see some really good videos of exactly what Bev was talking about. Um, But let's start at the very beginning. When you, what time of year do you plant your dahlia tubers? We plant either late April or May, and we really do pay attention to the weather. Um, if it's cold and rainy in April, we don't even think about putting dahlia tubers in the ground. We Some people pre-sprout their dahlias. We do not. So we plant a tuber and rely on it being warm enough in the ground for it to sprout and dry enough in the ground. And in the spring, that is tricky. So this year, all of our dahlias were planted in May. And because of the weather. Because it, of the weather, partly, and partly because we really aren't looking for early season dahlias. So I thought that was a fascinating yeah. <laughs> thing. And, you know, all through this interview, I think we should really concentrate on what's going to be helpful to the home gardener. Right. And yet, some of the things that you're <laughs> doing, even as a personal gardener, I would want to do them. Because why should you, if, if you have other things going on earlier in the year, why not wait until the dahlias are really good for that fall color? So that's a great point. Now, they're a little bit um, enigmatic, shall we say, because they want a lot of water, but not at the beginning. Is that correct? If the dahlia has not sprouted above the ground, it's good to not have it have any water provided there's a little moisture in the soil. If the soil is bone dry, you might want to just at least soften it up a little bit. Um, It's very easy for dahlia tubers to rot in cool spring weather before they have sprouted. So once they have sprouted, they do need a lot of water. You're right. Um, We say an inch a week, and that doesn't mean an inch of the soil a week. It means an inch of rain or irrigation, hand watering, whatever, that gets down six inches. Because you have to remember that when you plant a dahlia tuber, the tuber is four to six inches below the surface. So getting the water to just an inch is not really, it may be doing something around the stem, but it's not getting to the tuber, which is the heart and soul of your plant. Exactly. And and it's kind of nice to know that, um, so you've given us that information of how deep you plant it, four to six mm-hmm. inches. You wait for your soil to warm up no matter where you live. Um, you don't water it before you see it. And in terms of you, you've got this thing, you've got it in the mail or a friend has given it to you. Um, you, you don't have to worry about... Where, how to plant it, you plant it on its side, right? You don't have to look for the eye. The eye hopefully is visible. Right. The, the eye hopefully is visible. And I, when I plant them, usually the, 
the eye has grown to be, you know, maybe an inch long. Oh, you know, okay. kind of starting to sprout oh, the yeah. eye, in, you know, or at least coming up enough that you see which way it's coming up. It will come around the tuber and come up, but it's not as strong. Oh, I see. In so many cases, I've had advantage. some that thought, what happened to that one? And then I look and say, oh, it got planted it kind of in a weird place and it had to work hard to, to get there. So I think it's, it's ideal to have it ready to just pop straight up. Okay. Have you ever done that method? And would you recommend it to home gardeners to wait to, to like to plant them I don't know. You said that some people don't plant them until they've sprouted. They they pre-sprout them in um, potting soil or you know some kind of medium in um, usually in a greenhouse. And I did a few that way. And some people also do rooted cuttings. Uh -huh. You know, you can take cuttings from your early dahlias and root those. Um, I have trouble planting tubers that have not sprouted and things that have been sprouted and they're going to need water and then the rooted cuttings would need water. So I just don't want to confuse my garden and I plant them all that way. But people do definitely plant. Sounds like the home gardener who's always looking for the shortcut or, mm -hmm. you know, not looking for more work would probably just get the tuber in the mail or from a friend um, and then and then plant it without fussing ahead. Definitely. And you showed me, and, and this um, video will be available on the blog, you showed me how so say you've, you've successfully grown a dahlia and now you're going to harvest it in fall, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on where you live. Now, I leave mine in the ground and leave it to chance. But you pointed out to me that leaving it in the ground is still going to make it so that in a few years' time, that, that group, now huge group of tubers, will probably not be as productive as a single tuber. I've never done it. So oh, this is okay. hard for me to, to speak to that definitively. Okay. But I do know that when I leave some... We leave some dahlias in our hoop houses. And um, then when I do dig them after two or three years, I can't divide them because oh, they're just been intertangled. And so that's the part that has gotten sort of out of control in my mind. Um, but they keep coming back. I don't know how long before they would spend themselves out. Yeah, and I think I think probably they'd be okay if you can just keep them growing year after year. I mean, my mom, um, I'm a, where I'm in I this live, climate. Yeah, it's a new garden and I've got some protected against a little stone wall. And so, you know, the, my oldest ones are three or four years old. It would be interesting to hear from listeners if they have experience with longer ones. Definitely. When I moved to Virginia, I was told dahlias will survive a winter four out of five winters. Mm. Yeah. I don't want to risk a thousand, okay. two thousand dahlias <laughs> in, can't in the winter that yeah. is not. But the other thing that I've learned about them is that the biggest problem for dahlias overwintering is rot. Yes. If you get a wet winter, and it may not even be the coldest winter, if it's wet and cold, then they rot. And um, I had given my husband some before we were married here, and I lived in Ohio where we always dug them. He put them in here, and they all rotted. Okay, so, so yeah, you yeah, got to be they careful. Were too wet. Um, all right, this is Into the Garden with Leslie, and we're talking with Beverly Lacey of Blue Heron Farm about dahlias. So we've got them started. They're in the ground. We're not watering them until they show their cute little green foliage. And then we start watering, right, and start right. feeding. What do we do? When we plant them, we missed one thing on the planting. When we plant them, we put some compost in the hole and bone meal to get them started because it really is good for the tubers. And we believe in feeding the soil and not the plants, but we do, once they've started coming up, we do like to put some fish emulsion, which oh, nice. can foliar feed and get down to the roots. Both. So do you so spray we, that as a we, we do it with watering cans, if okay. you can imagine. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of, a lot of water. But we, it, it, 
tends to gum up a sprayer. And oh, yes, if, if you've ever used fish emulsion, it's it's a little tricky to do in a, a sprayer. Yeah. So we do do it in very labor intensive. How um, often? Um, we try to do it every two weeks. Oh, wow. um, most throughout years the season? That, throughout the season, most years that doesn't happen. Okay. All right. Yeah. And do you figure if you're... Um, is it enough that you're putting on there that it's, that it's adding to that inch of water, or is it just a light no, foliar? No, we don't okay. count it as, as that, part of the water. Inch. Okay. We do all our watering with drip irrigation. Okay. And if Mother Nature kicks in, do you? We definitely have a rain gauge, and if she kicks in, we're happy. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mother Nature. We wish she would be doing a little bit better on this. Right. All right, so now they've started to arrive, and how long do you wait until you attack them, which I always want to do? through pinching because I, I really have trouble with control later in the season. What's the first step there? <laughs> when we have time. <laughs> That's not a good answer. Um, we probably, within the first three or four weeks, they oh. get big enough. And we, um, I visited Swan Island dahlias out oh, in Oregon years ago, and they mow theirs with a oh, mower when, cow. when they get, um, they mow them down at 18 inches. So when they get to be two feet tall, they just take a mower that's set at 18 inches. We don't mow ours. We cut them. So I would say when they get to be a couple feet tall, they're starting to maybe try to bloom a little, is when we cut out the centers. And you showed me, and there will be a video on the blog, of how thick that center is. It's like a centimeter, maybe a centimeter and a half across. And it varies with variety. We have some of them that are definitely, you know, inch and a half. I mean, oh my really goodness. fat. We've had some that are really... And then I worry because... We don't. You don't want to get water down in, so you right. don't want to do this right before it rains. Yeah, it's a big and hollow yeah. hole. Some yeah. people say they just try to put the leaves back over. <laughs> the hole. Yeah, I don't know that that would do any good. But um, but so you take the main stem out down to, how? Le leaving at least three sets of leaves below it. Okay, like about eighteen inches is sort of a the hallmark that I use. Okay, about eighteen inches, and then what you want, what you're encouraging, is the side branches, and that's right. going to produce more flowers. And I do cut some of the side branches. If there are a lot of those that are really coming up already, I'll cut them back so that everything's down. Okay. To, you know, so your aim, and and this can be, it, it's actually interesting to think of the home gardener. He or she could use some of these tips and say, "Wow, I, I really have." Uh, you know, kind of a lacuna of color in the fall, and I could wait for it that way. I could let some of my dahlias come now. I could let some come later. For you, you have so many other cut flowers that you're dealing with. Right. You definitely want later, but you told me there was another advantage of later. The other advantage is early spring insect problems. Okay. Um, we have gotten thrips on early dahlias that were very troublesome and hard to get rid of, and Japanese beetles arrive in June, and, you know, they would love to come on the dahlias if they're blooming. So we'd just as soon not have June and July dahlias. And the Japanese beetles wouldn't attack the foliage. But even if they did, it doesn't matter for your yeah, cut flower matter. situation. Yeah. Right. They're mostly interested in the blooms? Yes. Okay. So that's a great way to avoid that. Tell me, because I'm not entirely clear on thrips, which means that maybe some of my listeners aren't. What, what's the sign of the thrips? What do they look like? The thrips do internal damage. They, I think I'm correct that they actually put their babies into the stems, you know, oh, and they kind of, kind of come up in the inside. And the, if you have a white dahlia and it blooms brown, there are actually many of the thrips are, well, one variety is called gladiola thrips. So okay. they are very prevalent in gladiolas and they do that. You, you can tell right away that the bloom is not going to be nice because it starts out brown. Oh, wow. It looks like it's dying. It before. looks like it never And we, we did winter dahlias one time. We tried one row. 
of just extra ones, and they all got thrips in the oh. spring, and the blooms were, we really couldn't use any of the, the June and July, and they eventually outgrew them, and we had some nice blooms in the fall, but it it was not worth it to hassle those, the thrips and the Japanese beetles so and other bugs. We do get bugs later. The worst in our fall on um, blooms is the spotted cucumber beetle. Okay, it, and what it, are they going to do? They're going to nip off the poles in the leaves, or the, the petals of the flower. Oh. And um, grasshoppers will trim the ends and make them look misshapen. And stink bugs will damage the bud and so that the flower doesn't open round. It'll be half. So they're, you know, we still have plenty of pests yes. to, to deal with. And the early ones are just beyond what I want to. And this is an organic farm. Um, Bev and her husband, Keith, are very um, kind to the land. And they're going to, when they go to attack something like that, it's either physically, you're picking off Japanese beetles and putting them in soapy water. What do you, um, I bet you mentioned neem oil. Will that help with any of the? I have used neem, neem oil to try to control the thrips and it didn't seem to do much. But um, um, I, I do have used it in the hoop house dahlias for hoping to discourage the grasshoppers. I, I never am sure how much good it does. There's so many, <laughs> so many, so many mysteries to garden. Yes, yeah. yes. This is Into the Garden with Leslie, and I am having a, a lovely conversation with Beverly Lacey of Blue Heron Farm, and we're talking about dahlias. So now, you know, we've established how to get them started. We, we're going to make them go late. I really am very excited to try that um, to, to push them later because I do have, I'm lucky enough to have good summer interest. Besides that, I'm not physically in my garden um, as much in the in these terrible days. Beverly and I are thankfully sitting in air conditioning after <laughs> perspiring around the, the farm. But, um, you know, it, it would be much more pleasant to go out in the in the fall when you're not dying at 95 and enjoy your dahlias. So I, I really learned a lot from watching you prune them to get a longer stem. Tell us about your technique for, for getting that beautiful cut flower. You have to just hold your breath and say, I know I'm cutting off buds that would come along and bloom later, but it's better for the plant if I cut deep. The hallmark in cut flowers is we need 18 inches. And so I try to get 18 inch stem. And if I cut a three inch stem, I will have other dahlias coming beside it. But then the dahlia is going to continue to get top heavy and it keeps getting taller and taller. Whereas if I take that 18 inch stem and make sure that there are two or three sets of leaves below it that will come on and replenish the plant, it's much better for the plant and makes a nice cut flower. Yeah, and it's it's that mindset that's very difficult that like a new gardener or me sometimes in moments of weakness might have like you've sown a wonderful tray of something good and now you have to thin them and you know it's it's collateral damage and you're very afraid to to kill something that might be a flower but those side shoots you've got to sacrifice them right definitely okay and then and then of course as a home gardener you don't have to have an 18 inch stem no. so you can do what you want i mean isn't it possible to go ahead and have quite a bushy low dahlia with lots of blooms on top mm -hmm. and and that's just not what you're going to do I, yeah i've never seen one in my garden but i think you can do that <laughs> you yeah. think you can do that um in terms of Cutting them and bringing them in, your immediate thing, of course, is to, and we, we had a wonderful podcast episode a few months back now with Jenny Hopkins of Big Arm Farms, and um, she taught us, and you know, I, I went through this whole thing of, wow, okay, you got to cut them and then cut, let them rest, cut them again, cut in early morning when they're hydrated. Did you Do you always water before you cut? Um, not always, because 
we're cutting every day. So it, you know, we, it's impossible to, to do that. Certain things we do, but with dahlias, we don't. The dahlias actually do better than many flowers by being cut midday. Dahlias need to be almost fully open. They oh. don't open a lot. A lot of flowers you cut just in bud stage and then they're perfect to open up later in the vase. Um, dahlias don't do as much opening. They do some, but um, you can cut a dahlia in on a pretty warm afternoon and still have it be a nice cut flower, which is a real plus. That is yeah. a real plus. Yeah. And in the fall, you don't have, hopefully, the 95 degree you know, afternoon. So um, it may be partly that's the reason I can cut you know, dahlias later in the day, but I do find that they are one flower that can stand that. They are not quite as long in the vase as many cut flowers are. We always say a cut flower, a good cut flower needs to be seven days in a vase, and dahlias really don't last seven days in the vase mostly, no matter when you cut them or how well you condition them. It's, it's Some people try you know, putting them in boiling water, which you know can help, I think, when they're first cut, but um, it's it's not a ticket for... It's the you know, sacrifice for, that we make for the beauty that we get. Right. Well, and as Nina said to me one time, the young woman that works with us on the farm, she said they make up in pizzazz for what they lack in longevity. So, and so, so we just take the pizzazz. They, they, are, <laughs> they have such pizzazz. Um, now, I want to talk to you about something that you need to do and that anybody could do. As I said, I leave my tubers in the ground and just come what may because I'm a little bit lazy that way. I watched you do this very meticulous surgery on a harvested full-on tuber with like probably eight little fingers sticking out of the original stem from last year. Tell me, about what time of year do you want to do that? It's very specific, and it's hard to put a specific date on it, which makes it a little hard on a farm, but it is two weeks after a killing frost okay, or November 15th, whichever comes first. <laughs> so if you have a year like we did a couple years ago that we really didn't get a killing frost and the dahlias were out there just still kind of struggling along trying to bloom, we went ahead and dug them. But what we do is once there's a killing frost, and sometimes it's unfortunately early October once we've had that and but usually it's mid to late October in central Virginia you get a killing frost you can cut it back to about six inches and then wait two weeks so that the plant knows I'm done I don't want to put out any more energy into growing and then we dig them. Where so. do you put it I, I've read that you want to uh, make sure that it dries out but not too much so maybe not direct sun. Not, yeah. You so, don't want to put it in direct direct sun. We so when we cut the top back, they're in the ground still. So that's for those two weeks, they're fine. Oh, then when we dig them, you know, in our case, we put them in the barn. We you know do shake them in off crates. the dirt. If you can shake off the dirt, it's lovely. Some years it's a matter of mudding them out. Other years it shakes off beautifully. Some years it's rock hard. So if you can shake off the dirt, but the biggest thing to remember in digging dahlias is you have to lift them from beneath the tuber clump very carefully with a garden fork or a shovel if you know you're digging in the right place so that you don't break their necks. If you pull one out by this six inch stem that you left um, and pull it through soil, it's going to break the dahlia in, in many varieties, break the dahlia's necks, and then you don't have anything to plant the next year. Oh, nothing. Okay. Yeah. So you've got you've dug carefully low. You should, you've got this thing, this big clump of I don't know. It's probably weighs five pounds. Yeah. Um, and then what do you do with it? And then we put them in crates, put them in the barn, and for at least a day until they've you know 
firmed up. And then we divide them with what, as you were describing, the meticulous surgery to divide them into individual tubers. And if a clump of a single dahlia that was planted, the clump may have, in some cases, eight or 10 tubers. And you don't expect all those to be okay. So you have to sacrifice. Again, you're making choices, sacrifice some to get the best ones that have a good neck and a crown and a... Um, an eye. An eye. But you which probably you really won't see, see the eye yeah. in the fall. Some people just tuck those tubers, which I did for years, tuck the tuber clumps away. You, you don't want them to freeze. So they need to be around 40 degrees until spring. And then in the spring, when they start showing some life, you can see where the eyes are. And it's really easier to divide them then. We don't have time in the spring on a farm to do oh, that. Oh, that's but, why. Um, it, and oh, so this is great I'm for the consistent, home gardener. It, but it is good for because the home you're gardener. just going to save the entire clump and worry about it next spring. But and then you say you have ten dahlias, yes. so you have ten big clumps, clumps and big things. You can probably find room. You can imagine if you have two thousand clumps that no, you size, can't you can't find that. room to you store them really. Yeah. So, you know, there's a combination of reasons of why we divide in the fall. And once you've done it in the spring a couple times you'll be able to do it in the fall if you want to, because you'll get a sense of where that eye is going to be coming oh, and how I okay. you divide get it. You, it. you get much better at it. And and I honestly, just, I really um, encourage you listeners to go to my website and look at my blog that accompanies this episode because I'll embed these videos with it and you can see w what she's doing, what Bev is doing here. And and you can see that once she, 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 you know, she has in her hand what is a viable and wonderful tuber, and it looks like a, a kind of a fat French fry. It's really not very impressive, especially yeah. compared to those massive yeah. fingers. And I'm like, well, wait, is that going to give me enough flowers? And, and that will, that'll do it, right? right? That's If you get that in the mail from um, from a good Dahlia company, do not be sad. That's actually going to do the trick. It's 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 a good thing mm -hmm. in a small package. And speaking of getting things in the mail, where, where can you make some recommendations of where people might buy? One of the best companies I mentioned earlier when we were talking was is Swan Island Dahlias. They really do a great job. There are more and more cut flower growers who realize, like I have, that I'm never going to plant all these extra dahlias. You can't just keep multiplying by five the number of dahlias you grow in most cases. And so there are people who are selling them. And it's hard. To, I, I don't want to recommend any of those particularly because I ha don't have enough experience in, right. in ordering from people. But you do have to be careful because you don't want to order from somebody who who doesn't understand, who hasn't done know, the surgery hasn't, well, yeah, done it well. And so it, I, you know, Swan Island is has a beautiful color catalog either online or and they're they're not the least expensive place to order them, but. I think it's worth it to get from a, a place. Somebody else has um, had mentioned Alpha Dahlias, but I have not ordered from them. And I so have, I, th I think, and of course, because my mind is a sieve, I can't think of any right now, but I know I've had good luck in the past with two other very small businesses. And again, I got that thing in the mail. I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is going to go okay. Yeah. And it did. So I'll put some links in the show notes okay. to a couple others. But Spawn Island is the big good one. I yeah. do know that. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to ask you, just because it's obviously this doesn't do much good for the home gardener except for envy, how many different types and how many plants do you grow? Um, we have between 18 and 1900 plants Ooh. in now. And of the ones that really sell well, especially the florists, we might have up to um, 
90 of one variety. Most of them, we have way fewer of that. And I think we have maybe maybe 50 some varieties that could be, I, I bet it's more than that. I think, I don't remember what I told you earlier. I can't remember either. I, but think, it would, I think it's over 50 over varieties. 50. And but we actually have one little section of ones that don't, grow perfect long stems and we call that Bev's reject row because those are ones that I'm not willing to give up on even though they aren't the perfect cut flower dahlia. I've grown them. Some of them were ones that I got tubers from my parents when Aww. and my mother died in 93 and I'm still growing the same dahlias wow. that, that she grew and so I'm not willing to give up on some of the the old ones that either I haven't kept them quite well enough or there's something's morphed and they aren't quite as pretty as they should be but you're going to I'm sentimentally them. attached to them. So we, when you add in Bev's reject row, we have more. <laughs> a few more. And your current favorite is that one that you cut for me, and I really thank you. I'm going to take yeah. it home. It's beautiful. It's called Peaches and Cream. Peaches and Cream. Yeah, and how long have you been growing that one? I think maybe four or five years. Yeah, adorable. Yeah. Really yeah. creamy, creamy, almost some yellow yeah. tints. And that's it right there. Yeah, right? that's it right there. Yeah, we're staring at it right yeah. now. It's it's one of those pom-pom ones. It's just gorgeous. Bev, thank you so yeah. much. I can't I can't thank you enough for all the help you've given me with an enigmatic sometimes and kind of fussy, but wonderfully worth it plant. So thank you. It's totally worth it. And it was a joy to visit with you and to get acquainted with you today, Leslie. Thank you. Oh, thank you. So this is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. I'm going to be right back in a few minutes with the playlist. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. It's time for the playlist, which is weekly practical information on what to do in your garden right now and maybe what to listen to while you're out there. So with all that information that Bev gave us about dahlias, do you know that we didn't even talk about the different flower shapes? I had no idea how many they were, and they just have some really interesting names. Swan Island dahlias, which is probably the biggest purveyor of dahlia tubers in the United States, it lists 17 different flower shapes, including peony, formal decorative, cactus, colorette. I mean, I don't even understand these shapes even. I guess I would have to click on every link to try to get them into my head, but maybe I will do that because I would like to know more. I'm going to put a link to Swan Island in the show notes and also to Blue Heron Farm, which is where Bev does her wonderful farming of flowers. She was so helpful. And please go to my blog on lhgardens.com to see some great photos and videos I took that day. You can see how she does her surgery in action and also how and where she makes the big first cut on a dahlia. Now, that would have been done back in July, but there's no reason for you not to plan for next year to be a better dahlia grower. I got a question about a particular weed that is coming around this time of year. It's an annual. I've been pulling a ton of it myself. It's called hairy crab weed or mulberry weed. It's Fatua villosa or villosa. Um, grows about a foot tall. has kind of good-looking triangular medium green leaves alternating on kind of hairy stems. The flowers, I, I, I'm often a sucker for, because the foliage is decent looking, I'm like, oh, maybe this is something. Maybe I want this here. And then the flowers don't sort of happen, but they do because you're like, oh, well, that's not much of a flower, is it? It's kind of brownish and it doesn't get big and sort of recognizable. It's something that I would call a lovely flower. Certainly not a dahlia, no comparison, but it wants to go to seed so fast, even when it's only about three or four inches tall. It's native to Japan, and it's a weed that we see a lot of now, and it's just 
it's a little bit of a pain because it's it tends to insinuate itself right in your border, right in amongst things, sort of like that one I was talking about last week, the mugwort. It's not quite as vicious as that, but at least half the time when you go to pull it out, you're like, oh, great. Yeah, I got the top of it. Didn't get the roots. So you might have to go back and try that again. So what to do in the garden right now? Well, if it weren't 3,000 degrees, this is what I would be doing in my garden. It's still fine to prune where we are in Virginia. You know, you don't really want to prune right before a hard killing frost. And we've got, so that means that generally I cut off pruning, except for, you know, things that I want to cut for Christmas wreaths or things that I want to bring inside. I generally cut off any big pruning jobs about halfway through October. So still plenty of time to cut. And the things that I like to cut at this time of year are the lower branches of hydrangea and azalea. Because in my garden, I generally underplant those two types of shrubs with something that I want to see. And because the plant is, you know, vigorous and it's getting older and it wants to spread its wings, it's growing those lower branches back that I generally take away. So, you know, cute little eucarellas or ferns or maybe some hack on grass is just kind of covered up. And I, I really want to see all of those things. So, I do, and I will, if we ever get a break in the temperatures, get out there and prune some of those low branches. Same for crazies. And when I say crazy, that's a highly technical term for um, some a branch that has grown out of a shrub that's just like not conforming to the shape and size of that shrub. So an example is a big holly that I have out in front of my house. If left to its own devices, that holly would be about 20 by 20. And I've seen it that way because when we moved in, that's what it was. You could barely see the house. I want it to be about six by eight, but several branches at this time of year send up reminders to me about what this guy would be if he were out of the clutches of my barbarous pruning ways, and they make him and they make me look kind of silly. So just these long things sticking out the top. Sorry, dude, the ladder and the loppers are coming out this weekend, and I'm wondering how to do that without crushing the Annabelles that are surrounding it, but I'll figure out a way. Earlier on in this podcast, I was having that little snit about English ivy, well, it turns out <laughs> Googling is so, um, is so useful. English ivy is native to Europe, Russian, and Scandinavian. That means that the British podcaster who was extolling the virtues of English ivy was extolling the virtues of what is probably a native plant for him. A native is good. My feathers are no longer ruffled that he was liking it so much, but he can't and he won't make me like English ivy. Well, what to listen to? How about next week, you can listen to me when I chat with Dean Norton of Mount Vernon. I got the coolest tour of Mount Vernon on this wonderful golf cart. And he took me all around and down by the river and up and down. And I just, I, I know more about Mount Vernon than I ever have. It was really fun. So that's next week's episode. But I did want to recommend to you a Joe Gardner podcast, episode number 222. And I'll put links to it. And the woman that he was interviewing is Raven Forest Fruscalzo. She has her own podcast. It's called Tiny Vampires. She's an entomologist, and she talks about things that like to suck our blood. Sounds terrible, but she's actually such a charming person that she makes it sound, well, interesting, if not charming. And so Joe had her on, and they really drill down into mosquitoes and what we can do as gardeners or just homeowners and enjoying our yard and not enjoying mosquitoes. It's not great news, but it does remind you of what you can do, but it also kind of reminds you, this interview reminded me of how little control you actually have. It also feeds you questions that you can ask of any service that you're considering hiring to spray for mosquitoes. You should be informed 
because otherwise it's a waste not only of your money, but a waste of the lives of other insects that die off because of that service. And it turns out that a lot of the mosquitoes that were killed off at one in the afternoon when the service came don't have anything to do with the mosquito that's trying to bite you at 6.30 p.m. while you have that nice gin and tonic in your hand. Hmm. Raven, the interviewee and the podcaster for Tiny Vampires, like I said, is a scientist and she's full of scientific information, but she sounds just like a real person outlining real facts and knowledge is power. Okay, I'm off to take a Coors Light with me into the garden and lather up with DEET so that I won't get eaten. Um, now that I know that I really can't control my mosquitoes except for doing something like that. And now that it's not 90 degrees anymore today, I hope. This was fun. If you have any questions or comments or corrections, you know where to reach me at Instagram. I am Leslie Harris LH. My website is lhgardens.com and I have a blog there and there's a blog post that goes along with every podcast. If you like the podcast, would you please tell a friend and or rate it on Apple or wherever you listen? I named this show Into the Garden with Leslie because I am really into my garden and dahlias and I want to get you into yours and I'll see you next week. 